0: It's been a real privilege to share with you from Jesus' longest discourse recorded in the Bible concerning the future, known as the Olivet Discourse. If you'd like to join us on the Mount of Olives for a little bit more study on that subject, we invite you to do that. Uh, Information has been placed on our website, fbcva.life. If you are interested in joining us, we have about 15 slots still available, and we'd love for you to, to come. Today before we get into our passage, I just want to take a moment, uh, this being the last of the six uh, sermons that are on this topic, to express to all of you um, Patty and I, sincere gratitude for the prayers that you have offered in behalf of our daughter and her family, as well as us. We know that there are many needs here at FBC, people that have various physical challenges that are serious, cancers, Lou Gehrig's disease, other things represented here, and more than ever before, we have devoted ourselves to pray for you. And um, we see the value, not only of the prayer itself, but of communicating to others that you're praying, because that brings great encouragement. And so I just want to thank you for that. Our daughter is still not out of the woods by any means. Patty just left a few minutes ago on her way to the airport to go spend a couple of weeks there to care for the kids while she gets more treatment. So anyway, we are just very grateful to you. We can't express it enough, and be assured that we are joining in the prayer effort for you as well as we all run this race together. A few years back the missions department here at FBC asked if I would go to Kenya with Scott Newland. Scott was going to be giving some presentations and I was going to share some things as well. I'd asked them if it would be okay if Patty joined us and they graciously agreed to that. And we were both excited about going. I had not been to Africa before and uh, neither had Patty. We were um, getting ready to go and one evening I was watching the news and on the news was the information regarding a terrorist attack in Kenya. That raised my eyebrows and I listened to that report and to be real honest about it, I found that to be a little intimidating. My uncle, who is now with the Lord, but was living at the time had completed ten years of service in that area of Africa. He was a surgeon and he contacted me after hearing that Patty and I were going to be going, and he said are you sure you want to do this? Well that didn't help matters. He was more familiar, in fact he was a victim of a terrorist attack himself while he was there. And so I went to the missions department and I talked to Tim McManigal, and I said are you sure we want to do this? I'm, uh, I'm a little bit concerned. Well, if our missions pastors always stayed back because of some sort of threat, they wouldn't go anywhere. Patty and I ended up going. We're so glad we did. It was a very profitable experience for us. But one of those profits is the fact that I became experienced firsthand with the realities of going into a place of the world that is hostile to Christianity. Uh, Places where there are people that seek to kill Christians and seek to do all they can to intimidate the message of Jesus Christ. Today, we want to talk about that very subject as it relates to persecution for the cause of Christ. But it's not just in Africa or in China, or in countries around the world that are very hostile to Christianity. But it's something that's growing in our own country, which I want to address a little bit later in our message today. In the context of our passage for today, Jesus gives what some call a parable, but technically it doesn't meet the standards of a parable, but it does use metaphor of sheep and goats. What does Jesus have to say? he actually is addressing the subject of the treatment of those who are encountering persecution for his name. Keep in mind that as we have studied the Olivet Discourse, that the abomination of desolation that takes place in the middle of the Tribulation is a time where Christians who are Jewish will have to flee for their lives because the beast of the sea, the man of sin, is going to be after them with a vengeance. It'll be the pinnacle of Christian persecution of world history. Coupled with that, 144,000 people who have come to faith in Christ during that tribulation will be sent out as missionaries to the Gentile world. And they will be communicating the Gospel of Jesus Christ around the globe. They have to flee. When the man of sin comes after them, Jesus said, don't pack a bag. You don't have time. You need to get on with it, and you need to get on with it quickly. But that puts these people in need. They need food to eat. They need shelter. They need places to sleep at night. They have need. And that's what Jesus actually addresses in our passage today. When He comes, He's coming as a mighty warrior. He is going to be swinging a sword at the nations that descend upon Jerusalem, led by the man of sin. And if we ever think that he's going to come as the humble lamb that he left, we better read our Bibles again because he's coming back as a fierce warrior, the Lion of Judah. Revelation tells us that he's coming to tread the winepress. If you would go to Israel with us today, you would see the remnants of winepresses stone platforms where grapes were scattered and then through gravity the juices would then flow down into a channel and that's where they would be captured by various jars and vessels for them then to ferment into wine those that would trample upon these grapes, of course washing their feet, and they would come in and they would tread the wine presses. And in doing so, the juice would splatter up onto their robes, and the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to have blood splattered on his own robes because He is going to tread the wine presses. He's going to be out there fighting himself with the army behind him, and of course no fatalities there. He's coming back as a mighty warrior. And then he's going to set up his throne, and he's going to have two primary judgments. The judgment seat of Christ, which we've talked about and we'll address again today, but also the judgment of the sheep and the goats. This judgment is describing two groups of people. It's not a conditional passage. It's a descriptive passage. It's describing the behavior of some people in world history in the future, those how they treat or do not treat God's messengers during the time of the tribulation before the king comes and conquers and reigns and sits on his throne. We find in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory." This throne is likely, in fact I have no doubt, in the city of Jerusalem. And when the battle is done, and when the birds are feeding off of the carcasses and corpses that lie in the streets and in the valleys of that area. Jesus Christ will then set up his throne for two judgments. Daniel tells us the duration of those two judgments. One of these judgments is the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And verse 32 says, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. The word nations is the same Greek word that can be translated and often is in the Bible as Gentiles. And Jesus is going to call the Gentile nations, living during that period of time, to himself, and he's going to divide them. Some of the Gentiles will be on his right side, who will be the sheep. Others will be on his left side, who are the goats. And this passage teaches us exactly what is said by the King of Kings to these two different groups of people. First of all, he addresses the sheep. In verse 33, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And then the king says to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Inherit the kingdom. A close examination of the New Testament, but particularly in the book of Matthew, inheritance of the kingdom and the entrance to the kingdom are not one and the same. Nicodemus came to Jesus one night and said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus said, believe on me for everlasting life. Be born again. It's a free gift. But Jesus is not addressing entering the kingdom here. He's addressing inheritance of the kingdom, and he's stating the condition by which that is given. He had already given information about ruling in the kingdom in the parable of the talents. Inheriting the kingdom is participating in his reign, his governance of the kingdom that will be birthed after the great birth pangs of the tribulation period. You will inherit, he says. Come and inherit the kingdom. Notice also he said, you are blessed by my Father. In Genesis chapter 12, in the very beginning of the Bible. In the very beginning of the nation of Israel, Abraham was told these words about a nation that would come from his body, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Jesus addresses his brethren. He speaks about his brethren in this passage. Matthew chapter 12 gives us instruction of who he's referring to when he calls certain people his brethren. We might think it means all believers, but if I look again, even though every believer is a child of God and every believer in Christ is also considered a brother or sister of Jesus Christ, the phrase, my brethren, in the book of Matthew, specifically refers to Jewish Christians because they are brothers ethnically as well as spiritually. These Jewish believers... As they penetrate the world with the gospel and flee, the vengeance of the beast need to experience something, and the sheep provide that experience. Verse 35, Jesus said, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. There was need I had, Jesus said. Even when you didn't know who I was, you brought me into your house and gave me a place to stay. When I needed food, you gave it to me. When I needed something to drink, you were generous to me. In fact, when I was even captured, you risked your own life to come visit me because your association with me puts your own life at risk. It's one thing to believe in me, but it's another thing to become public by associating yourself with me. But they answer and they say this, the righteous say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? And when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come visit you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. In other words, how you treated my messengers, I took it very personally. How you treated my servants? is how you're treating me. I want you to inherit the kingdom. Because of what you have done for them, you partnered with the persecuted, and it's the basis of your reward, the inheritance to give you. But now the subject changes to the goats. Then he said to those on the left hand, verse 41, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice the word cursing here. Again I go to Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. To the Israel of God, to believers in Jesus Christ, if you bless them, I'm going to bless you. You will partner in the kingdom. But if you curse them, I will curse you. And here Jesus Describing the unbelieving Gentiles of the tribulation period, they wouldn't have anything to do with Christians, let alone to serve them and help them and assist them. And Jesus says, depart, and you're going to the place of the devil and the angels. Now folks, you have already heard it taught here that there are not only differing degrees of the eternal state for believers, there is differing degrees of punishment for unbelievers. And Jesus takes this one so seriously, the way they treated Jewish believers, that he is going to put them in the worst of eternal punishment that has been prepared for the devil himself and the demonic forces with him. That's where they're going. It's the epitome of being cursed. I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me." Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to everlasting life." It's my personal opinion that when Jesus said the righteous will go to eternal life, They already possessed eternal life when they put their faith in Christ, which was actually for most of them, I'm sure, years earlier. But now he says, you will go to eternal life just as the wicked will go to the lake of fire and to everlasting punishment, as the kingdom is now going to be set up. I think that what he is referring to myself, this is my opinion, is that those sheep received their immortal bodies at that moment. That now they are immortal just like we are going to be immortal when we come back with the King. And they will go into the Kingdom in the same way that we do in bodies that can no longer get sick, die, be killed, but immortal bodies. And then people ask the question then, well then, who are the mortals that will populate the Kingdom? And folks, I'm going to just have to share with you that's for another day. We don't have time today to address that, but I believe there's a very good answer to that question. Well, what about us? This applies to Jewish believers during the Tribulation, if that's what it is, and I believe it is. What about us? Well, first of all, the sheep set an example for us. The sheep set an example for anyone who lives before the tribulation period, In the fact that they are partnering with the persecuted. Let me give you a few examples from the New Testament. In the book of 3rd John, John commends believers who took in traveling missionaries and housed them and fed them and sent them on their way in a manner, he says, worthy of their calling, generosity to them, helping them, assisting them. John commends them for that. Or Epaphroditus, who took a monetary gift from the Philippian church, traveled the distance to find Paul, who was actually in imprisonment during that time to take that money to him and to support his ministry to be able to purchase his needs. But in the process, Epaphroditus becomes sick. In fact, we find out that he became so sick, he was near death. But he went to minister to a persecuted servant, the Apostle Paul himself. Or think of Onesiphorus. Paul says, he was not ashamed of my chains, because at the end of Paul's life he was in a greater imprisonment. He was now in the worst of Roman imprisonment. And people that would associate with Paul would put their own lives on the line. Oh, you're a friend of his, huh, wonder. And so people abandoned Paul. And in the book of 2 Timothy, his last epistle, he says, Phygelus and Hermogenes have left me. Demas left me because he loved this present world. In fact, he says, at my trial, everybody left me, and I stood alone at that trial. And then he says, except the Lord is with me. Abandonment. But he said Onesiphorus was not that way. He wasn't ashamed of my chains. He diligently sought me. He tried to find out where's he at? What prison is he in? Where in the city of Rome is he located? I'm going to find him and bring him some food and, and a blanket. I want, to, I want to help him, and I'm not afraid to associate with him." Those are people that partner with the suffering and the persecuted. One more example, Aristarchus. He's kind of a no-name in the New Testament. He's listed five times, and if you study each one of those usages, every one of those usages, the only thing that's mentioned is he's in the presence of Paul during some form of persecution. An angry mob, pursuit by unbelieving people, a shipwreck, in prison. He was a companion and a partner with a persecuted servant of God, Aristarchus. None of them wrote a biblical book, it's doubtful they were even asked to speak somewhere. But these men were partners. These men put their own lives on the line for the persecuted. And God sees the treatment of His servants as the treatment of His own Son. What I'm going to share with you now, some of the names are fictitious, but every event is true and has happened. All of them in the context of Fellowship Bible Church. I imagine something like this. The king is on his throne at the judgment seat of Christ and he calls up and says, Jim and Nancy, Bob, Susan. Frank and Betty and Pete, Diane, would you please approach the throne? Today I want to share with you, I want to share my inheritance with you. The Father in heaven has given me the nations for his inheritance, and I want to share that with you, and I want you to have a portion of my kingdom to rule for that thousand years, and I want to share it with you because the reason I do is because of the school supplies that you gave me?" And this community group says, what? School supplies? When did we see that you needed school supplies, and when in the world did we give you school supplies? And Jesus says, don't you remember? When your church was having a missionary conference, that Simon and Ruth, they came to visit you. Simon and Ruth Yakko are from Nigeria. It's a nation that's very hostile, and growingly so, to the Gospel. You remember that being a Christian, and especially a Christian leader in Nigeria, is not a safe position of life. You remember that? Yes? Well, Ruth teaches children whose parents are serving out in the bush in small churches and a number of those parents have been murdered by Boko Haram. But don't you remember the day that you took Ruth to Walmart? You took a grocery cart and you filled it with tablets? and pencils and markers and erasers and glue so she could take back and teach those kids? Oh yeah, we remember that. Well, if you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. I want to share my inheritance. Priscilla, could you please come to the throne? Priscilla, I want to share my inheritance with you because of the vitamins." The vitamins? Yeah, don't, don't you recall, Priscilla, you remember that Joshua and Melissa and Jacobu, who also live in Nigeria and who go out and minister to these pastors out in the bush country and their own lives are in danger? Don't you remember that they have two sons that have sickle cell anemia? and you wanted to do something for those boys because it's a fatal disease. And you didn't have the resources and you didn't have the channels by which you could give them life-giving prescriptions. But you did read that there are certain vitamins that can boost the immune system to at least help. And you wanted to do at least something to help those boys. Don't you remember that you took Joshua and Melissa and went to the pharmacy department and you loaded up on vitamins that you paid for out of your own pocket. You, you don't remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Well, if you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Jennifer, would you please come to the throne? Jennifer, I want to share my inheritance with you because of the sickness that you paid for me. When did I pay sickness for you?" Well, remember that in Nepal, Fellowship Bible Church brings pastors from countries that are hostile to the Christian message. So pastors come from Pakistan and India and other locations and gather in Nepal so that they can be trained by Our missions pastors at FBC, don't you remember that? And you went along with them, because you have a skill that was able to help contribute to that conference that they were having. But when you were there, you got sick. And you had to take a long, long plane ride back to Dulles Airport, very sick. And I just want you to know. That if you were sick for the least of these, you endured hardship for me. What about us in the United States? What are we facing? Well, this morning, what I've decided to share with you is what I shared with three young men from FBC. You see, Some of us on the pastoral staff are seeing retirement on the horizon, and we wonder at times who is going to follow us. And there are three young men that are beginning teaching endeavors in our adult learning center, and I gathered them together because I know that we are going to be in time passing the baton to them. And I want to share with you today what I shared with them. Because I am firmly convinced that the intensity of Christian persecution is on the increase and will continue to be on the increase in this country. And so taking the book of Second Timothy, Paul's last epistle, I shared with these men these words, prepare to be abandoned by fellow Christians. There will be Christians who will not want to ruffle feathers, who will want to keep life simple and pleasurable and not get into the thick of controversy, and they will stay quiet about things of God's Word. They will remain secret about the things of Jesus Christ. Their entrance into the Kingdom is guaranteed because they have put their faith in Christ, but their inheritance is at stake. Prepare to be abandoned by them when you need them the most. When you're on the college campus and you're a fellow Christian and you need them to stand with you in the classroom that's very opposed to Christ, don't be shocked when they're abandoned. Don't be shocked if you're abandoned on the high school campus or in the workplace or any time that you stand for God's truth and His righteousness and the name of his son. Paul was abandoned by Demas, Phygelus, Hermogenes, and the list goes on that I've already shared. And men, be prepared. Some of God's people are going to want their ears tickled and they're going to find teachers that will do just that. They're going to try to find teachers who will use the Bible to support what they already desire to do, they will take the Bible and they will twist it, even if just a little bit, so that it can condone their already existing decisions that in truth are contrary to God's Word. And that's why Paul says to Timothy and I share with these three men, learn how to handle the Word of God accurately. Learn the processes of biblical observation and exegesis and interpretation. Know how to be fair with the Bible so that we have God say what He has said and intended to say and not trying to make Him say what He did not say. Handle the Word of God carefully. And finally, Paul says, I suffer as an evildoer. You see, when you live in a hostile world against Christ, what is evil they call good, and what is good they call evil. And be ready to be accused of hatred. Be ready to be accused of being uncompassionate. Be ready to be told that you are actually the problem, not the solution to this country. Be ready to be accused as an evildoer. For whatever you stand for righteousness and for the truth of Christ and Christ alone for eternal life and the truthfulness of God's word, be prepared. You'll be seen as the problem, not the solution. And finally, he says, Paul to Timothy and Don Hartog to these three young men. If you endure, you will reign with him, but if you deny him, he will deny you to reign with him. The exact words what Paul said to Timothy is true 2,000 years later. Hey, do you remember Aristarchus I mentioned five times, always suffering? I just thought this was an interesting little tidbit. You know what Aristarchus means, what his name means? Best ruler. He is going to be an individual who was not well known even by most Christians, but he will be very well known in the kingdom to come. Nothing experienced in this world is as great as receiving the commendation and reward from the King of Kings. Live for eternity. Jesus said, put up and store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust and thieves can't touch it. Have a good foundation for the future. Deposit things in your heavenly account. and seek the imperishable crown see beyond the 401k because at the end of the day what really matters is our eternal investments which includes suffering for the king from the Mount of Olives that's where he spoke this And the Mount of Olives is where he left us, and the Mount of Olives is where he will return. Hebrews says he's the captain of our salvation. The captain speaks, and he has spoken, and he has not stuttered. And this is what he has said to us. The world is in for some severe turbulence. But remember, it's preparing to birth a kingdom. Number two, the captain says that we are on a different flight plan, that we will avoid that severe turbulence, but the turbulence that we do have will be preparations for us to be ruling in that kingdom. And number three, the captain has said, prepare for a landing. And he gives us four parables to tell us how to do exactly that. Treat your fellow servants with respect and care and kindness. Put oil in your lamps. Build up your spiritual reserves so that when tough times come, you'll be able to stand firm in faith and in trust. Take the abilities and the God-given spiritual gifts and use them. Serve the king in whatever capacity he has given you to do and always realize this. Even though the amount of abilities differ, the reward of faithfulness remains the same. And finally, stand with the persecuted and endure your own, because those that do will inherit the kingdom. So I close this series with the words of the King himself. In the very last chapter of the Bible, some of the very last words, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give everyone according to his work." If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, he offers that to you freely to have eternal life and entrance into the kingdom. Put your faith in what he has done on the cross, the free gift of eternal life. And for those of us who have, let's prepare for his return, as Jesus instructed us how in this wonderful discourse, the Olivet Discourse. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask you one simple request this morning. Give us a greater love for your return. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.